Welcome to our podcast. We are Vintage City Church based out of Fort Collins, Colorado. As a church, we're currently working through the book of Romans. If you would like to watch the live video from this episode, head over to vintagecitychurch.tv and we hope you enjoy this message. You guys ready? Yeah. Romans chapter 8, let's go. We're going to be in verses 14 through 31, and we're just going to go until it's time. Which means I don't know how far we're going to get. I do want to approach this the same way we did last week in chapter 7 in the early parts of 8. I want to read the narrative. I'd love to invite you to close your eyes and listen. I think it's very, very important as we study Romans to hear what Paul says in context before we begin to break it down. When we do exegetical work, if we go too deep, too fast, sometimes you miss the big picture. So I want us to have the big picture in mind and then dig into some of the syntax of the verses. So dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you keep on following it, you will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it and its evil deeds, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So you should not be like cowering fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's very own children adopted into his family, calling him Father, dear Father. For his Holy Spirit speaks to us deep in our hearts and tells us that we are God's children. And since we are God's children, we will share in his treasures. For everything God gives to his Son, Christ, is ours too. But if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his sufferings. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will give us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal to his who his children really are. Against its will, everything on earth was subjected to God's curse. All creation anticipates the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. And even we Christians, although we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory, we also groan to be released from pain and suffering. We too with, uh, anxiously wait for the day when God will give us our full rights as his children, including the new bodies he has promised us. Now that we are saved, we eagerly look forward to this freedom. For if, you're, if you already have something, you don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must w- wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our distress, for we don't even know what we should pray for, nor how we should pray. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father, who knows all hearts, knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. For God knew his people in advance. He chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn with many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And he gave them right standing with himself, and he promised them his glory. So what can we say about such wonderful things as these? What do you hear in that? What jumps out? Abba, Father. Father. What else? The Spirit. Seven times in that short few verses, Paul will call us back to this focus of the Holy Spirit. What else? What else jumps out? Hope. Love that. What else? 
Isn't it weird? Nobody said Calvinism. I want us to understand that Paul was communicating something that had nothing to do with a theological, treat, theological treaties about how God separated one person from another and chose some and not others. Paul is focusing the church on this reality of its desperate need for the Holy Spirit. He's focusing the church on its deep, deep inability to live without the Holy Spirit. So I want to dive into some of these verses and take a look. The first one I want to look at is we, we dealt with it last week a little bit, but I want to add a little bit to it, where it says you have no obligations whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. Now, we looked at that, and, and the word is you have no obligation, which means, okay, you're not, you're not indebted to it. It's the idea of, of a court sentence. If you go to court and someone sues you and the judge awards a penalty of suit, you are obligated to pay that. You're like, no, not in our court system. You can keep fighting it. Well, technically, you're <laughs> obligated to pay that. It's the same idea here that Paul's dealing with. It, it deals with, with an assignment or, or, or a judgment that puts you in obligation to pay it. But in the original language, in the Greek, as I went back through it this week, I saw something that I missed last week. In the Greek, it actually doesn't say you're under no obligation. In the Greek, it says you are under obligation. Not to the flesh and the deeds of the flesh, but to the spirit by partnering with him to put to death the deeds of the flesh. It's a very different statement. Paul's, instead of saying, you're under no obligation to do the deeds of the flesh, which almost reads like, well, you can do them if you want to, but you're not required to. His statement is much toothier and stronger. You are actually under an obligation. And I want to start there. We're under an obligation as the people of God. And we love the grace idea of like, oh, it's just all oh, peace, love, and Jesus. We hate it when we hear the reality of, oh, there's rules in this? Paul's statement to the early church is you are, you are now under an obligation. Here is the obligation. Here's what you are to obligatorily put before the Lord. You are to work with your life to put to death the deeds of the flesh. You are to lean into the Holy Spirit, partner with him, and your work in this life is to put to death. And if you work to put to death the deeds of the flesh, the life of the Spirit will come into you. It's a much stronger statement than, oh, we got the Holy Spirit, we're just trying to work our sin out. Paul will talk in other places about crucifixion and about the reality that I am crucified with Christ, yet I live this life I live. I don't live according to the flesh, but according to every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Crucifixion, we just glaze past that. Paul's statement here is part of the kingdom life that we are to live is that we are to mentally take an active role in making sure that our sin nature is nailed to a cross. Now think about the visceral reality of that picture. That sin nature has nails or spikes, whatever you will, put through its hands, put through its feet to where when that sin nature wants to get up and rise up and do, it can't because we have pinned it down and we've locked it down. And we've said, no, you absolutely cannot move. It's that kind of strength. It's not this like mamby-pamby like, yeah, I know, I'm just struggling. My, my desires. Paul puts a much stronger statement in Romans together that we are to actively crucify those things. And the picture, I see a picture of like my sin nature because it's my sin nature is very advanced. <laughs> I see a picture of my sin nature just, just flexing and trying to get off the cross all the time. And if you think about the management of that, 
Like if you, were, if you picture yourself spiritually as the guard watching your sin nature on a cross, and every time that sin nature decides to strengthen up and try to jump back down, your job is, no, 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 I'm pinning that back down. I'm nailing you back down. Paul's statement is that is the fight we're in. That is the wrestle we're in. That is our life. And he leans into this. He says, but if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it, you will live. I don't want to just leave us in this place of woe is us, work harder. Because he doesn't say to the church, do more, be better. He says, if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it, which tells me something, it should tell us the same thing, you and I are incapable of nailing our sin nature down on our own. Please understand that. It's not about white knuckling. It's not about just wanting to be better. Paul's declaration is if you want to win the war against sin, you're going to have to develop a deep, intimate encounter with the Holy Spirit. I want to highlight that what he says is that supernatural sin-defeating life is actually available to us. How many have ever bought the lie, I'm just a sinner, I'm just going to make mistakes, it's what it is? What happens if we step into a different truth? It says, you know what, it's actually available to me if I want it. To walk so connected and aligned with the Holy Spirit that I don't sin. Well, that would be pride. I don't know, don't we see Jesus do the same thing? Don't we see him who, I mean, the scriptures would teach that he, he was, in order to be an advocate for us, had to be like us, correct? I know there's some that will teach that Jesus didn't actually have a broken nature, he was perfect. And I'm like, well, that's not fair then. Because how do I lean into you as my guide and teacher to break this thing in me if you didn't have to overcome it? Seven different times, Paul's going to call them to come under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And this word led means to be systematically directed or driven. How many have ever approached the Holy Spirit as the boss? We love the word comforter. Like, it's my, he's my counselor. He gives me suggestions on how to live. What happens if I look at him as the general? You call it, I follow it. Because that's what Paul's talking about. Being led has this very gentle, like we've just taken a walk with the Holy Spirit. There are days like that, that's probably the truth, but the reality of what Paul's teaching is the Holy Spirit is calling the shots and you're responding. That's what it means to be led by the Spirit. It carries a connotation of paying attention to the commands, signals, and directions of another. If I consider all of what Paul says here, it leads me to the conclusion that we are obligated to listen to the Holy Spirit as a result of what Jesus did on the cross. We're trading our sin. Remember that old song, like, I'm trading my sorrows, I'm trading my shame? You know, um, I still remember the bass line because we had to learn it for... Uh, the idea is I come with all my sin nature. I lay it before him. In exchange, I get new life. I get grafted into the kingdom. And I'm now required to honor the leadership of the Holy Spirit every day. Not as an idea. Not as a concept. 
Not as a, it's a good idea to do it, it's possible, it's part of what he really hopes we do, but instead, as actually this is what it means to be under the authority of Jesus. I take command from the Holy Spirit. I want to suggest that being led by the Spirit means we're taking our total life direction from the Holy Spirit. Church, please, we have to move past believing the Holy Spirit deals with my spiritual life. The Holy Spirit is in control of everything. He is to be in control of our business life, our home life, our recreational life. He is to be in charge of our life. Because Paul will make another statement later on. It says, in him we live and move and have our being. We are to live so connected to the Holy Spirit that there's not a moment. The Holy Spirit should be your shopping partner at King Supers. The Holy Spirit should be on your dates as a married couple. Should be at family dinner. Should be in the car with you. How many, how many have ever really driven with the reality that the Holy Spirit's paying attention to how I drive? I want, to, I want to emphasize this and overemphasize it because that's what Paul's doing here. He keeps drawing them back. In just a few verses, everything, it's like he says something, Holy Spirit, says something, Holy Spirit. It's always back to the goal of them, if the goal for them is to understand you can't do this without a connection to the Holy Spirit. Okay, so what's the, what would be the opposite? If we want to look at what Paul's saying, be led by the Spirit, there's, there's two options if we're not led by the Spirit. And I want you to understand, neutrality is an illusion. You will never be neutral. You're either going to be led by the Spirit, or you're going to be led by the enemy, or you're going to be led by your sin nature, or a combination of that. If we're led by our nature, we live, we behave in the way that seems right to us. Anybody else besides me have moments where you still feel like that's where you live? You do what you think is right. Think about it in, in context of conversation. When somebody says something to you, how many just go, how many, how many are, are so disciplined that you check it and go, what should I say, Lord? Isn't it so native to us to just react and emote and feel very justified and validated to take that stage and be like, well, you said this and therefore I get to say this instead of stopping going, wait, time out. I'm under the leadership of the Holy Spirit. I don't just get to do this. You're like, that would be exhausting. That's Paul's whole point. It's called crucifixion. The idea is that we are in a war with our own nature, never trusting it, never assuming it's just going to somehow grow into the image of Christ. Our spirit is redeemed. That is the nature he has, and we'll deal with that later on in the passage, which he says, I know where you're going. I know where your trajectory is. If you follow me, if the Holy Spirit's allowed to govern and lead your life, you will end up looking like Jesus. I had this revelation as I was studying it this week. God has no desire to redeem our sin nature. He has a desire for us to kill it. He's already redeemed us and given us a new nature. There is no plan for him to say, oh, yeah, see, I, I redeemed your sin nature. His sin's gone. He says, Paul says here, he gives us a new body later on. We get a new nature. Our job with the Holy Spirit from here on out is to be in this game called crucify the flesh. 
There's one more option, which is not just following our impulses emotionally, spiritually, physically, where we let our minds and our hearts and our emotions lead us. The other one is if we let the enemy lead us, which means we just follow temptation. He puts the carrot out there, and we're like, yep, I want a carrot. <laughs> and we just let him, let him lead us and guide us. We follow the thoughts that he releases into our mind. How many have ever heard the term conspiracy theorist? How many also understand that just because you thought it doesn't mean you should say it or do it? Can I give you a revelation, please? Our minds are not fully redeemed. We have been promised the mind of Christ. We are to set our things upon that which is eternal. So we grow into focusing on the things he's called us to think about. Whatsoever is pure and true and of good report, think on these things. But there is also a reality that we are, we talked about this last week, we're in this constant conversation with our thought process to take it captive. That because it comes into my mind doesn't make it a holy glorified thing. And if, if, the, if I am so susceptible to my thought life that I haven't learned to take it captive, that I just follow it, all the enemy has to do is release things and whisper them. And I just take that subliminal response, I'm like, okay, yes, yes, enemy, I'll do what you want me to do. Instead of stopping, going, hey, wait a second. Holy Spirit, what do you want? Does that make sense? The clear teaching in this narrative is that the children of God take their direction from the Holy Spirit and are committed to his leadership. I believe Paul's working to paint a really clear and concise picture that our, our entire security and future development is to be within the grid of an intimate encounter with the Holy Spirit. And I want to remind us the Holy Spirit's not an idea and a concept. He's a person to be known, followed, and revered. I was a young youth pastor working for Pastor Gary out in the Northwest, and I had a lot of religion in me still. Uh, I think that's why the Lord put me with Pastor Gary, uh, because he might be the least religious human being I've ever met in my life. <laughs> and I worked a lot of hours just because that's my DNA. Uh, you know, my, I was always wired if 40 hours was required, 60 would, be, would make you a good person. And so I would work like crazy, and then on my days off, Belinda would, she, was, she had a, an office job with a nursing home, and so I had the day to myself. And I was like, well, I'm either going to do nothing that matters, and I'm young, I was 23 or 4, somewhere in there. And so I picked up a book called Good Morning, Holy Spirit by Benny Hinn. And I grew up in a home where um, Benny Hinn was criticized pretty heavily. Uh, made fun of a lot for he's you know he's a little he's a little theatrical we got to give him that. But I had this thing going on inside of me, so I'm like I've heard about the Holy Spirit my whole life. I don't know him. I want to know him. Now at the time my heart cry was I want I want to know how to walk in power. Ironically, as time has gone by, this desire to know the Holy Spirit has been way less about power and way more about friendship. And like wow. you really have a lot to say. And really sarcastic and funny. I want to push and invite us. 
If you haven't really built an intimate encounter with the Holy Spirit, begin that. We sing songs like, let us become more aware of your presence. In order to become more aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit, we have to be very sensitive to what's in his heart, what he loves, what he hates. We also have to be aware of the consequence. Paul will make a statement here that scares me. That not being led by the Holy Spirit carries a grievous consequence. It brings death into our lives. And I want to just push away the, what I would call American theology. Jesus paid it all and there's nothing left for me to do. Because if we come to the Lord and say, I accept the kingdom, receive the gospel, but I'm not really going to do anything about it, we're still going to continue into certain deaths. You're like, well, will I be saved? I think it's the wrong question. I do believe the Lord is so gracious and compassionate and kind that it's hard to measure. I do believe when we stand in heaven, we'll be next to people that were like, wait, you got in? I believe we'll stand next to people that, we, that are from other religions who actually had a deep yearning for God because he knows the heart. I'm not going to enter that land and call theology theology. I'm just saying my experience with him is he's far more gracious than I ever expected. Those things are not for me to know. That's Jesus' whole teaching about the wheat and the tares. For me is to know who I am, that I've been saved, but it's also to understand that with that salvation comes this incredible invitation. Hey, I didn't save you, son or daughter, so you could keep being stupid. I saved you so you could have me as your leader and your guide. And it seems, based on what Paul says here, we're either led by the Holy Spirit or by our own nature or by the enemy. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So you should not be like cowering, fearful slaves. You should behave instead like God's own children. And I can't shake this. I want to I close with this because we're running out of time. Paul instantly connects our father relationship, our ability to connect with the love of the father, the care of the father, the nurture of the father. He connects our intimacy with the Holy Spirit to our ability to understand that love. I think they go together. We all want to heal the father relationship, and you might have a bad father relationship on earth, and it's gotten in the way of your father relationship in heaven. Can I just invite you to understand what Paul's teaching? The way to fix that father relationship with the king of glory is through the Holy Spirit. It's by developing a systematic life with the Holy Spirit. Now notice, I didn't say it's by praying in tongues. I love praying in tongues. I pray, where Paul says I pray in tongues more than you all, I take that as a challenge. I love it, I think that gift is amazing, but I'm talking about learning to be led by the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm not just talking about the gifts, I'm talking about the leadership, the, the, the shot calling of the Holy Spirit. The one who says, go here, go here, do this, don't do this. The one who we submit our plans to. Do you notice that Paul, there's a story about Paul where he says, I'm gonna go in to this part of the world to share the gospel, and the Holy Spirit forbids it? When was the last time you were so governed by the Holy Spirit that he could forbid something of you? 
I get so gripped by that. When was the last time I was so surrendered and tender to the Holy Spirit that all he had to say was, Greg, stop it. And I was like, yes, sir. Because generally how it goes with Greg is I move headlong into that stupidity and then apologize. (laughs) Why? Because we're not tender enough. How many have ever trained a dog? Isn't the definition of a trained dog that it'll do what you say? I have a dumb dog. It's, it's, it's fair because she's seven pounds, so her brain's the size of a peanut. I don't want to be a dumb dog. I want to be that son where the Holy Spirit can say, hey, and my answer is yes, sir, because I have such a reverence and a fear that I would wake up every day and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. What do you want to do today? Where do you want to go today? How do you want to lead me today? That I could just in a, a very loving way go, here I am. Holy Spirit, bind my hands and take me where you want me to go. I don't want to be that son that's over in my corner of the yard and every time the Holy Spirit's calling, I'm like, no, I'm doing my own thing. You just stay out. You leave me alone. Hey, maybe tomorrow. You know what I'm getting at? I'm asking us to step into what I would call is the beginnings of revival. The beginnings of revival is a people who are led by the Holy Spirit. When a people are led by the Holy Spirit, when they get together, he can do whatever he wants because he's got this absolute concentration of people that are so yielded to his voice that all he has to do is walk through a gathering and go, hey, I want to do this, and it's on. All right, stand with me. Sorry, we're running late. And I got through... Page one of my notes. I had five of those pages. So Dustin, you can take it next week. I put the smart guy on for the tough stuff. So, Holy Spirit, we do love you. We honor you. With incredible seriousness, we would invite you and your leadership. In the places that we have violated your voice, and we've been stubborn, would you forgive us? In the places where we've been arrogant enough to want to make our own way, would you forgive us? My heart cry for this house is that your voice becomes like a torrent, like we can't shut it off, that you begin to speak and direct, and that you would bless us with just a tenderness to be able to hear you. Lord, we don't have time this morning to get into the realities that when we ignore you and we harden our hearts, we start to hear you less. I'm just asking for a grace movement that you would speak fresh again, that we could become more tender to you. May your face shine upon us. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for your time with us. We would love to have you join us at a live gathering on Sunday. Our address is 1501 Academy Court, and it's just off of Prospect Road in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, please go to VintageCityChurch.com, and we'll see you next time.